You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gallieri, and with me, as always, is... Jason Carapesi? <laughs> a little role <laughs> reversal time. What? That was weird. It was weird. I don't know if I like it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all make sense soon, because uh, in this episode... Paul's going to ask all the hard-hitting questions of me. Usually it's the other way around, and, and Paul makes me look good by answering questions really well, and I'm going to do the opposite to the opposite. Um, welcome to the episode, and uh, if you're new, welcome. If, if you've been around for a while, then then welcome back. Um, we've got a fun one here. Uh, I, was, I was in uh, Seattle over the weekend, and... Um, you know, checking things out. And I uh, went to the Museum of Pop Culture. And they uh, it was the second to last weekend of the Pearl Jam Home and Away exhibit. And uh, to go along with that, the museum put together a little, little party on Friday night. Um, they screened the second of the two home shows, August 10th, 2018. Hadn't been shown before. And uh, it was it was a good time. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, but before we get going, I have to say, you know, if, if you have written a review, if you fed the algorithm, that is really appreciated. If you could do it and you haven't done it, that'd be super duper. And uh, if you are a patron, we really appreciate you. You help keep the lights on. You, you know, Jason, it, it's been a while since, and we have some new listeners coming into. It's mm-hmm. been a while since we we've told our listeners what it means to be a patron. Oh, okay. Um, so basically, uh, obviously super friend of the show. And what you mm-hmm. do is you get um, a lot of input on this show. You help us decide um, topics. You get extra content. In fact, this week you'll be getting some extra content from Paul Rackman uh, from our, our conversation last week. Um, there was some extras. I think there was like 20 or 30 minutes extra from Brad Clausen back in the fall. Um, help us design t-shirts. You guys mm-hmm. get um twice a month you get uh drop in the show, which is like a little watch along the pawn. Basically, it's like DVD commentary to a <laughs> random live performance that the band has done throughout the career. Um, we do a quarterly Google uh not Google hang, but a uh quarterly Zoom hang. Actually, we're due to do one. We are might be overdue, actually. Oh boy. Um we have uh giveaways that are only for patrons. Um, there's one that's percolating in the background that's going to be announced pretty soon. And actually, speaking of giveaways, at the end of this episode, we will announce the winners of the two latest contests, one for the Gigaton Vinyl and one for the I Am Mine Pearl Jam Fan Portraits book by Tanya Kang. So stick around to the end of the episode. We'll announce those two winners. That's right. And all of the proceeds from your patronage goes to our show overhead costs and batteries for me. 
But (laughs) (laughs) please explain the batteries joke. (laughs) Well, I had this extra copy of, uh, was it no code? I think, I think it was no code. No code. Yeah. Uh, On vinyl. And, uh, I was thinking about sending it back and just like taking the Amazon credit and putting it towards batteries. And, uh, Jason and I had a conversation. It was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to, take this beautiful piece of vinyl and I'm going to gift it away to a friend of the show. And th- and that's what we ended up doing. I don't remember what the, uh, what the giveaway contest was, but neither do I, but I do know that I'm out of batteries. So <laughs> <laughs> funny enough, my, 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 my father just came by and gave me batteries. There you go. So I can give you some. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll do that at the end of the show. And yep. uh, yeah, it just, it keeps the, like I said, keeps the lights on. Oh, and there's yeah. t-shirts too. And there's a sale on t-shirts. The first two designs are marked down by 10 bucks. So if you want a t-shirt, holla. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Exciting stuff. All right, Paul, I'm going to uh, hand the car keys over to you. Um, they, I, given you I gave you my itinerary. You did. You yeah. did. So you, uh, you decided to take a little trip this weekend yep. to... An exciting place. I'm talking about a place called Aspen. No, we're not going to Aspen. We're not going to Aspen. <laughs> Where the beer flows like wine. Yeah. And the women flock like the salmon of Capstone. <laughs> okay. No, it's where Pearl Jam actually flocked mm. uh, for, for and continues to flock. 10 a.m. on Friday, Jason Carapesi and his lovely wife land in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the weather like, Jason? You, you come off a plane. What, 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 what were you filled with? This immediate burst of what? Uh, it was colder than we thought. Oh. It was cold. You know, it, it's Pacific been, Northwest. What were you expecting? I don't know. Kokomo? We looked at the, at the, the, at the, at the weather app, right? <laughs> okay. And it said, you know, oh, like a high 55. I'm like, okay. It's been like Bermuda, 55 in the mornings Bahama, here. Come on, pretty. <laughs> Put your flannel on, man. Come on. <laughs> I, I did bring flannel. <laughs> yes. That's true. Of course you did. <laughs> I had a black and black and red flannel. Um, but no, I, we got off the plane. And I was like, this, this feels like a different 55 to me. Mm. Um, so it was a little chilly and, uh, it proved that when we went out at night, I was underdressed and therefore freezing, but thankfully we were indoors for the vast majority of that. But yeah, and we landed at 10 and, um, it was part, it was pretty sunny, cloudy ish, sunny ish. Um, if you, by the way, if you watch the, uh, the full length, uh, travel vlog that we're putting out today, then you'll kind of see some of what I'm talking about. And so you'll nice. see a little bit of that action. So yeah, it, it was it was a, it was a pretty day, but it was a little chilly. Okay, so uh, Connecticut's prodigal son has yeah. lost his uh, his edge living in California I, I too long. Yeah, That's okay; it happens to the best of us. Okay, so you get there. Uh, stop number one. It's time to visit Mopop, right? So twelve forty five. You're there for about an hour. Mm-hmm. You checked out the music room, checked out the guitar gallery, checked out the Pearl Jam exhibit. A lot of cool stuff. I have questions. First of all, I'm insanely jealous because you, you sent me all the, the video content and there's just some wickedly cool stuff here. I, I think the, the first thing that I have to ask you about is, oh, a Grammy. Cool. <laughs> that the, the, the cardboard cutout of stone yeah. and the Grammy, yeah. was, it, it, which it was a nod to Pearl Jam 20, uh-huh. um, was outstanding. What was he dressed? It, it, they had him dressed in like this, um, like not sequin. He was like wearing a, it's like a, a tux leisure or suit or something. Yeah, it was like a tux. I guess it was what yeah, he was wearing for know. the Grammys that year. It was weird. It was a, uh, it was like a cardboard cutout, a stone, 
And uh, with uh, what did it say? I guess this is a Grammy or so this is a Grammy. Uh, and, well, no, because uh, what ended up happening was he he found it in his attic or something way back when. Remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. He's like he's like poking through like all this just junk right. in his house, and it's like this. And he finds this the spin the black yeah. circle best hard yeah. rock performance, and he goes, "Oh look, a Grammy." Yeah. So it was there. <laughs> I remember I remember seeing that and being like, "Wow, that's a really funny callback to yeah, Pearl Jam twenty. So yeah, that was there. That was there. Uh, loved the avocado. Um, puzzle piece uh sculptures of the, the head oh, yeah. busts. Yeah, I those, thought those that busts, was uh, those, those were pretty cool um to see those kind of up close and personal and and they were amongst a lot of um some posters from I, I want to say the I want to was that was that Canada? They're the bronze sculptures from the Life Wasted videos. Yeah, Life Wasted video and then mm-hmm. on the wall behind them there was some artwork there was from that era and I can't remember what shows those were from very very eight uh, bit looking, almost like uh, Minecrafty for my, my my parents out there. <laughs> yeah. it's like Minecraft. Um, but next to that was some really cool Brad Clausen artwork, including mm-hmm. some sketches, some early sketches of some of the posters that he did for me on that tour. That was pretty cool. Very much so. Uh, so let's talk about uh, two guitars here. Okay. Uh, I guess I guess the first one that we should talk about is actually not a Pearl Jam guitar. It's an Allison Chains guitar. Let's talk about that 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 Jerry Cantrell. That that's it. I mean, it is. It's beautiful. It's got like these. Um, is it like a white rabbit on there? It's the 1984 GNL Rampage. Yeah, that's that was cool. That was because to get to the Pearl Jam exhibit, you had to kind of go through most of the museum, mm-hmm. and so we were trying to like it was like a, it's almost like a maze. And so to get there, we have to kind of pass by the guitar room as it's called and so you go in there and there's guitars and basses from a number of artists from over the last you know 70 years whatever right. and you know you got howlin wolf you got brandy carlisle you got um uh who am I, i'm blanking there was uh, so many people in there but the one that stuck out to me as a fan of the of the early 90s rock and roll was yeah that, that gnl rampage if you guys don't know what what gnl is it's a um it's the brand that leo fender made after fender was a thing um and obviously it can't be the same thing as fender but they're like offshoots uh so it's it's a separate company and that's the guitar that i guess jerry control made famous it looks like it's got like a it's not like a honeycomb pattern it's it's like a little what would you call that Uh, it's a pattern it's it's bizarre because it looked like it had a bunch of stickers on it at first it's got stickers too and it's got a, right. it's a single humbucker with a Floyd Rose. It's um, it's like a cream. I think it's probably just. It's, it's, it says Rock Duck on it. Looks like it has a. I almost want to say it was like a white rabbit or something like that. I can't yeah. really tell what that what that was, but uh, I mean, it, it's beat to hell. And it's beautiful. beat to hell. I mean, it's what is that? That's <laughs> like it's like, like thirty six, seven years old. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that if you guys know Allison Chains and you're fam- and you're you're familiar with early Alice in Chains, you'll know that guitar quite well. It was very, very cool to see it up close and personal. And, uh, you know, speaking of, of last week's interview, a great, great little, little vinyl of hunger strike. And along with that was Eddie's flannel and leather jacket from the video mm-hmm. hanging up as well. And, uh, which was just like, it's so cool to see that. And then you also got the, the, the task cam four track used right there How in the cool same, that? the same, um, casing that was used for the mamasan trilogy yeah so which which i, I mean we're not not trilogy part of the, the the four track where he, yeah, yeah. he actually recorded those initial tracks mm-hmm. that essentially would 
fortuitously lead him to become the uh, Andy Wood replacement. So what were you feeling when you saw that? Cause it, it's one thing to know and, and to, to know the story. It's one thing mm-hmm. to, to discuss it ad nauseum. Like we have, it's, it's another thing entirely to be standing in front of the actual piece of machinery that this iconic tape was recorded on. Well, let me, let me address the first thing you mentioned, which is the, the flannel and the, yeah. uh, and the leather jacket, or was it a vest? I guess it's a vest really. Yeah. vest um, that Eddie wore in the hunger strike video. One thing that, and I, I mean, a lot of us know the, how tall Eddie is. He's, you know, he's like five, seven, five, eight. Um, but he is, he, at least he was a diminutive man. His, all the shirts that he had, all the jackets that he had in there, they're small. I mean, I wear a medium t-shirt. Um, it's, you know, yeah. you know, I'm five, 10 and something and, you know, a buck something, <laughs> but like, I'm a medium. If he's wearing a medium, it's probably it's probably fallen off of him. These were these were small. These were schmediums. Okay. And I couldn't get how small these jackets and shirts were. Anyways, to see once I got over that and I looked down and saw the task cam, first of all, how friggin' big were four track recorders back in the late 80s, early 90s? They were huge. This thing was mad. I mean, I had a four-track task cam in like 96. And it was probably a quarter of the size. Right. Wild. So I'm looking at it and I go, holy shit. First of all, think about the things that even, especially musicians out there, think about the things that you had when you were a teenager. Uh, my, my first guitar, a Fender copy, pff, gone. Uh, that, that task camera recorder, gone. Like you, how many of these things do people actually keep? And the fact that Ed still had this four track all these years and was able to Say, hey, Mopop, yes, I do have that famous four track. And then to see it, like, and, it, and it's side by side, or not side by side, but it, it's in adjacent um, plexiglass enclosures to something you may, you may bring up uh, in a second, which is Ed's first guitar and amp combo from his bad radio days. Yeah, yeah. That was actually a good segue. It just, it's, it's, it's very strange to feel... Or to, uh, not, not to feel, but to be so close to the instruments and the and the gear that spawn things we've only heard about, seen on YouTube, read about in books. Mm-hmm. And it's right there. That's the thing that was used. Blows my mind. It, it, I, I mean, it, it blew my mind just looking at the clips that you shared with me. Let alone what it must have felt like to to be there. Uh, I was also struck as well by. Um, just the, the 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 sheer number of artwork that they had up, uh, it very much felt like a uh, like a Momo type visit, you know, where you, you mm. just go through like this museum of modern art and you see these these fantastic relics. Um, but let's stick with the attire for one more minute. The corduroy jacket. Oh yeah, I mean, it was there? It was it there. Was there. It was next to a looked like a baseball jersey that I want to say it said like Elks or something on it, like cream with mm-hmm. red writing. I don't remember what that's from. I'm sure somebody's probably yelling at me through the through the thing, but <laughs> I don't know where it's from. But the but the brown corduroy dra- jacket was right there next to again looked pretty damn small. Um, but it was next to the the Elks jersey yeah. and and the green the green jacket as well, mm. like the the army style. Um, I think it's a little bit later there. in the career, right? Was that more like? Uh, when was that? Uh, was that? It's was like that? 93. I think it had that like 
like the versus Vitology era when they yeah, were. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, like in like in uh, it was Bristol, you know, back in England, like the, that that those shows. Also had the the black corduroy. I think. I think it was actually was a navy, there. a dark navy. It was a dark navy. Okay. I don't recall when that one's from, but the brown one obviously is is very famous. Uh, you would have seen that on any number of things, including MTV Unplugged. But again, mm-hmm. you know what's weird about that jacket is how big the lapels are. <laughs> yeah, it right? feels almost seventies in it. Like you it you wouldn't that. you wouldn't be able to see that outside of yeah, like the disco era. But there there he was in the early nineties with this large lapel, and it was short too. It was like it'd go up to your belly button. Like man. you think it'd be like a midriff jacket, yeah. <laughs> but you, I mean, we, we've seen videos of him wearing it, and it's not. So again, diminutive stature of one Ed Vedder. Mm, fantastic stuff. Okay, so you're going through this museum. Outstanding, outstanding artifacts of Pearl Jam lore. What's the one thing that you remember most? Like the most indelible memory from from walking through, through the um, museum. Well, one thing that that threw um, probably some of the stuff that was used, you know, like the task cam, that kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit, I didn't think there were some things you don't think they're going to have. Yeah, so that stuff kind of blew my mind. Some things that I wasn't expecting that was kind of like I need to know more about this. There are a number of like little little desk like um, plexiglass enclosures that had a number of lyrics on them, like just mm-hmm. covered with lyrics. Right. And I'm trying to like the, read the some composition of them. notebooks too. all assembled a lot of them, the composition notebooks and they're all labeled they're, 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 mm-hmm. the, um, the, the number of the year, the number of the year. Yeah. The year is on the spine. Mm-hmm. And so there's probably 23, 24 of them. And uh, one of them on the front where it says name, it said, not yours. which I thought was fun. And I immediately thought of that, that Stockholm incident in the early nineties when they, when all their yeah. shit got stolen and how much stuff we could have, we don't have, but um, yeah. So they had all these lyric sheets and some of them you've probably seen before. And some like the liner notes, like the whipping lyrics or like the insignificant lyrics. Um, and then just seeing some other hand-drawn stuff. Uh, the I am mine lyrics, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Virginia comes to mind, Virginia beach where he wrote mm-hmm. them. And then uh, there were some though, that were just not songs that any of us have ever heard. N- and and I, I was I was looking at that at that particular one that you're you're mentioning. I'm, I'm going to read these really quickly because I started reason, reading this uh, set of lyrics, and I was thinking to myself, "Well, wait a minute! Like, what what am I looking at here? Right? Yeah. Trouble, oh trouble, see, set me free. I've seen mm-hmm. your face, and it's too much. Right? I mean, th- there's some some really fascinating stuff here. It makes me wonder." You know, there's some instrumentals over the years. It makes you wonder, like maybe from the binaural era, if some of those cutting room floor segments that never actually got lyrical content, if that's that's what some of this was for. Well, yeah. And then you think about like, okay, there are lyrics here. Were they recorded? Were they recorded Mm -hmm. on top of music? Is this this other stuff that like our friends at Pearl Jam Italy, you know, they talk Mm -hmm. about the sessions and all the possible working titles that are listed from those sessions. Like, are these some of those things? Now I want to go back onto their website and check out and try and cross-reference with what I saw. Like, oh shit, that was a thing. Or what if it wasn't even there? You go, trouble. They didn't even have it down. Like, what is that? So that got my mind racing. Yeah. So speaking of racing, I'm sure most Pearl Jam fans remember the feeling of racing to the nearest record store to pick up the latest release. Mm -hmm. Now for me in San Francisco, that record store was Amoeba music. 
And uh, there, there are two signature locations. One is here in LA and one is in San Francisco. I believe LA was the, the first one. Um, Easy Street Records yeah. is this landmark. It's an historical landmark in the world of, of um, 90s music. Uh, you had the opportunity to, to head there next. So yes. two-part question. Part one, what was it like to walk into the store that previously we really had only known from the cover of a, of a single from the Riot Act era, right? Um, that's question number one. Question number two, uh, how does Easy Street compare to a record store like Amoeba? Like what, what, what stands out the most to you? Um, so it was kind of weird to walk into it. Cause you know, like, like you said, you've seen it on the covers of things. Uh, right. You know, I've, I've seen, I've Google street viewed it before. I'd be like, what, what does this place look like, <laughs> you know, in real life and hearing all the stories about, you know, Ed just happening to be there. Like, I, I remember, I forget who we met, who was, you know what it was? It, the singer of the tribute band Vitalogy yes. went up there and just saw Ed like walking down the street outside of Easy Street and was mm -hmm. like, hey man. So like part of me was thinking, what? because I know Ed lives in West Seattle. He lives just south, like a few miles south of the store in West Seattle. And there's a there's a chance maybe he's there. Now, he, of course he was not, but it made me think that like this is the place that those guys hang out at. Like Mike McCready had a had such a store credit that he didn't have anything, he couldn't he couldn't use it so he gave it back to the store's employees as like a christmas present like a year or two ago wow he's there that much jeff was there for his 60th birthday like 2 weeks ago this is according to the employees who were just talking to me by the way there's a cafe and a bar in there the cafe is downstairs you'll you'll mm -hmm. be able to see it in the video that we post um when you go to the second level that's where most of the rock stuff is Mm -hmm. and, and some of the jazz, but there's also a very, very small bar. And the the bar the bartender was chatting me up and, and telling me all these stories. And they had like a metal band playing there that night and they were getting ready for that. Uh, and you, you hear stories about Olivia Vetter tending the cashier, cash register just for us. Like they're, they're, the guys in the band are just like citizens of the store mm. in a lot of ways. That's a and good, so, good way to phrase it. You know what I mean? So like yeah, going in there felt like I was jumping into a, a part of the world, part of the band's world that I could actually get into. Yeah. Like the, the best of the band's world that I experienced over at Mopop or part of their world, I was still separated by plexiglass. You know what I mean? So yeah. this felt like I, I was actually stepping into places where they Frequent. step and have their lives. Yeah. And that was super, super cool. Uh, what nice. was the second part? The second part was Amoeba. Amoeba. So Amoeba, well, at least the original location down here, it's, it's since moved in the last year or so mm -hmm. down the street, but the original one was much, much, much bigger. Um, Easy Street is fairly small, um, probably like 40 feet wide by 60, 70 feet deep. Uh, and then to mm -hmm. the side is is um, the cafe. It's all kind of the same area, but it's kind of separated by the cashier register. And then you can go upstairs, and then it's like half of that, maybe a third of that layout of an upstairs area where there's more records. And that's it. Yeah. it it's it's pretty small. And um, while I was up there, I did some thumbing through, and they yeah, got yeah. you had to buy something. I had to buy something. Yeah. They so they had. Um, I was a good boy and I was a bad boy at the same time. 
uh, I was a bad boy in that I did buy a couple of things that w- didn't need to buy. Um, a few things were small, like about a like a little Easy Street um, sill pat for the vinyl player. Uh, ah. I bought a T-shirt for myself. I'm actually wearing it right now. Nice, I like it. Um, got a little little uh, for those who, who aren't seeing. Uh, at, you know, at some point we got to do like a YouTube channel. When once, once we I have a YouTube channel, so, yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, like we're, we we record these, you know, these episodes. People it's, I'll watch. take a picture. It's a it's a it's a it's, it's like a hot rod. Like a hot you got your, your the Hot shirt. Wheels logo. Yeah, yeah. it's easy straight on. But anyways, um, I go up there. And I'm thumbing through the vinyls, thinking to myself, what am I gonna find? What am I gonna find? And the first mm-hmm. thing I found was live on Easy Street, which. Whenever I've looked online for it, uh, Discogs or Amazon, it's like $100. I'm like, fucking hell. It was not $100, and it was much less than that. So my daddy's going to pick up his Lab and Easy Street. So I did. Nice. And then I was thumbing through some more, and they had a number of those radio broadcast shows on 100 gram, or 180 gram vinyl no. with like proper artwork like the fox theater 94 show oh wow. um a couple of 92 shows the aladdin theater 93 show like proper like i i, I could, first i was like what is going on here this looks like real it was like properly done bootleg stuff on vinyl so i didn't get any of those because that would have been ridiculous but i did get live and easy street so there's that um nice. and i did that basically went up there i'd already bought the t-shirt and the soap hat and grab the beer because why not? Yeah. You know, it, it, it was like one thirty. It's, it's, it's like, five o'clock somewhere, Jason. <laughs> it, it was five o'clock elsewhere in the world on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> and uh, that's when I got the when I got the vinyl. By the way, once I got that vinyl, I went back downstairs to pay for it, and a young lady comes over to me and says, "Are you Jason from the State of Love and Trust podcast?" I go, "I am." You should have pulled an Eddie. You should have said, "Well, no, not really." But uh But I play him in real life. Yeah, but I play him in real life. Not this is this not Ben Royal Hall here, okay? Yeah. And and you better not be serving me papers. Oh yeah. Oh man, that would have been terrible. I don't think I've done anything worth worthy of that. But so a very uh, kind listener, uh Melissa came up and said hi to me. Um she was going to the uh the party afterwards. So mm-hmm. I said, Hey, I'll see you there. So that was really cool. And um and then we 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 left and we left nice. uh, mid afternoon. Yeah. Very cool. I hope that you comported yourself well in front of our good listeners. I did. I, at first, I said I was Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, you sound no, different. No, that's right the now. ugly one, actually. <laughs> People always say, oh, hey, you're Jason. Paul's voice, though. And I'm, I'm always like, meeting me is like the footnote to like talking about your voice. My voice. Which is fun. My voice. Yeah. It was hosting this podcast yes. for the first and only time. <laughs> okay, so easy street. Yes, you step out of there. You mm-hmm. got you got an, an, a you know nice little little beer buzz going on there. Um, you then head to the home and away party. So they're screening the August tenth home show, massive screen, home museum. Uh, what did that feel like? Did that feel like one of those things, like with like an NFL playoff game where they're you know putting on a big screen? You got tons of people that are just kind of hanging out watching it. It's like living vicariously, or uh, or, or did this feel um, like forced? It didn't feel forced at all because anytime I'm around Pearl Jam fans, nothing feels forced. It all nice. feels organic. Good answer. So you know we it, it was it started at seven thirty. We got there around seven ish. We had dinner an early dinner and then rolled up. And we get in there and it's probably like 
I mean, they said 700 tickets were sold and there's probably like 400 people in that main uh, giant main area where the uh-huh. massive screen is. And I, I'm sure other people were kind of wandering through the halls. Cause like I said, it was like you said, it was playing kind of on every screen, including mm. in the, in the exhibit area. Uh, but I wanted to stay on the, on, on the IMAX level screen and, and yeah. they had, they had no, they had not, not an open bar, but they had a bar there. People getting drinks and, um, a lot of local brews, by the way, which is really, very cool. Very nice. And um, they're selling some T-shirts, selling the Funko Pops, and so people having a good time. And it was just, um, it, it started off very just like, "Hey, everyone's here," and and there was some polite conversation throughout. And then there was a the gentleman who who curated the uh, exhibit spoke, uh, and then uh, gave way to um, Kevin Schuess, who is the uh, videographer and archivist for the band for the last 30 some odd years. And like nice. a lot of the stuff came from him, like tour, tour badges and sheets and, and other tour stuff. And so he spoke briefly and uh, yeah, so it all felt kind of like just cool. Everyone's kind of coming back for like a reunion, almost kind of like that, even though no one really knows anybody, mm-hmm. but once the show starts, and you get a few songs in and people have had a, a beer or two. All of a sudden, it's like a concert in there. Nice. Everyone's singing the songs. People are dancing. This gal from Brazil behind me was going nuts. <laughs> going nuts. <laughs> and it was just, it was really Dance cool. Dance the clairvoyance, man. It, it really was. We, we were all just having a great time. Everyone was singing and there weren't any mosh pits. But like, it felt like, it didn't feel like you were there per se, but the the vibe was like, the communal vibe that you get from being on the floor at a Pearl Jam show, yeah. that's what it was. The vibe was live. I like it. Yeah. Very cool. I was going to, my next question was what, what's a, a standout highlight that you remember? It sounds like it was just the, the energy, the vibe. I think, I mean, listen, we, I, I, I was, I, I was there originally in, in August uh, of 2018. It was my wife's second ever show. So she was also intrigued to see. I mean, what, this is super cool for you guys to like relive that experience. Yeah. And we we had we weren't on the floor for that show. We were kind of off in the left field stands, so the view wasn't like it was on other shows. So to see it from a different angle, from a, obviously a better a better viewpoint, mm-hmm. um, hearing some things, seeing some things that you couldn't tell from our vantage point, that was very cool. Nice. Um, but I think you know, as the night was going on, remember this is a three and a half hour show. It's a long show, and. Throughout the night, as people got looser and looser, like I said, with you know, with the dancing and the singing, more people kind of came up and were like, hey, are you? Hey. And so it it became, and, and my wife's laughing at me like, oh, you're loving this, aren't you? And I'm like, well, it, it's, it's, I'm loving the fact that people, I, I'm loving the fact that it's silly to me that our little show is like this little, maybe like a small flashlight but within this com- community and people listen and, and have a reaction in a way that, Hey, you're the guy that said the thing that I think too. And you've brought me into other, to me, other fans I didn't know about and again, continuing the community. And so I thought that was really interesting and cool that people yeah. were like, Hey, it's so nice to meet you. You blah, 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 blah. And I was talking to people for like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. This woman, uh, Daniela from the area, she was super nice. Been followed, I think her first show was Drop in the Park. I wow. mean, wild stuff. Yeah. Um, a younger listener from Indiana was uh, flew in with her mom, Shelby and Renee. 
Um, that was awesome. Who else came up? Oh, uh, actually, a gentleman who lives in Seattle by way of Lima, Peru. Ooh. Gonzalo, who was the guy that tipped me off to the fact that Easy Street was selling the Halloween shirt that you missed out on. And oh, then Gonzalo. Remember that? And I, and I got it for you. Gonzalo, I met I Gonzalo. salute you, sir. Fantastic. I Gonzalo's hope you gave him a big, a big hug as my proxy out there. So I meet Gonzalo. We're chatting it up. I meet his girlfriend. She's great. We end up hanging out like afterwards. We get, we go back down to the the, the public market area. And this is how all good stories bar. end. Oh, you, you got to end up at a bar. <laughs> so we end up at a bar. Have myself a little Freud, you know, close that motherfucker down. It was great. Stories Fantastic. being told, like learning, like how do you think a guy from Lima, an engineer from Lima, Peru, ends up in Seattle and is going out with a girl from Kentucky? <laughs> like this is Pearl a, Jam. That's Pearl Jam. This is yeah. this is the thing, man. The stories and the people and the and the and the reactions and it all comes together under one roof. That's the Pearl Jam roof, for sure, for sure. And you know, honestly, I I don't think for a second that it was enjoyment for the sake of attention more because quite quite frankly i don't necessarily believe that you and i are are elevating the conversation at all um i that there are some amazing insightful conversations and and uh, discourses that we've had a privilege to be a part of by inviting people on the show and just listening to them talk or mm-hmm. having them discuss with us um, it's less about elevating the conversation and the discourse. It's more about amplifying it. And I think that more than anything else, it's just allowed us to, to just put a megaphone to these voices and, um, and just be a part of that discourse. And uh, for, for you to go out there, it's, it's just another ripple, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that you were able to do that. And I think it's, it's wonderful on a communal level more, more than anything else. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm envious. I'm envious, Jason. I I wish I could have been there with you, but I'm glad you were there, uh, representing our uh, our our humble little little experiment here, our, <laughs> our little 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 passion project. Uh, so you end the night at a bar, yeah. um, but there are some some smaller highlights that I'd like you to, to touch on as <laughs> okay. well. Okay, uh, you happened by a few of uh, Pearl Jam's old venues around. I town. did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, most of them are like around the same area. I, I thought they'd be like sprinkled across the city. I wandered by the crocodile, which okay. uh, was a is a uh, venue that Pearl Jam played under the moniker of the Piss Bottle Men in the late nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they played it some other time, but that's the time I remember. Uh, the Showbox, right down by Pike's Place. Uh, obviously, the Showbox DVD. Mm-hmm. Showbox, Showbox, Showbox. Um, my hotel, like a block from the Moore Theater. Like what? Outstanding. Like I, we got into the hotel. I was like, I wonder where the Moore Theater is. And then we like walked out to get a bite. And I was like, Oh, it's just right there. That's wild. <laughs> like what? Um, and then we went to uh, the Mopop, which, if you don't know, it's it's right next door to the Space Needle, and there's a like a like a science center there, and the um climate pledge arena used to be called key arena is right next to that where the kraken currently play and where programs played a number of times um memorial stadium is just north of that by like a stone's throw pearl jam played two shows there in the summer of 98 and amongst all that it's this little like grassy area it leads down to a small 
concrete stage with, with like a mosaic background. That area is called the Mural Amphitheater. And there's a, a, a show that Pearl Jam did for free there in the summer of 91. You can find it on YouTube. It's in the video that we posted today of that vlog. And um, just, just to basically walk by these places or walk through the amphitheater lawn and be like, shit, man. What 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 happened here all those years ago? Yeah. The kinds of things that have happened. So much rich history. Yeah. So that that was that was super cool. Um we we were considering going up to Discovery Park, but it's actually seven miles northwest yeah. of the downtown. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's a hell of an Uber. So we opted not to do it. I apologize, guys. I apologize. Maybe next time. Hey, it's far from a disappointment, my friend. <laughs> uh you 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 saw quite a bit. Any uh any any parting insights or or memories you wanna in part here before we we turn the page to our next segment uh i will say if you haven't had biscuit bitch yet you should probably go ahead and do that there's two locations and it's tremendously heavy rich delicious breakfast food including biscuits and gravy and grits and just to do, you should do that as, as an aside um cool. noted yeah uh what else anything else i just think there's 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 more to do there's more to see there's, there's more, like, I'd like to go check out London Bridge Studios. I'd like to go check out yeah. Studio Litho and Stone Studio in the warehouse if I ever could. Drive that'd a be, that'd car be cool. through Eddie's garage door. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe not that. But, you know, there's, there's other, you know, there's so much in that city um, unseen or untouched by most Pearl Jam fans. And if we ever got lucky enough to, you know, crack open the door and just take a look and, and show what else the band has touched. Um, they have some insight into how they do their thing. Yeah. That would be, that would be awesome. And I think there's, you know, I hope that there is an avenue for that in the future, but as of right now, uh, I'm, I'm left thinking that was a lot of fun and it was, um, it was great to see so much of what's impacted us up close. No question. Well, with that, it's time to move on to our Lyric of the Week. That was well done, Paul. Oh, I try. Well, uh, <laughs> this week, we're going we're gonna to stay in the early era, and we're going to go with Brother. He used to flag as a bandit, oh, my big brother's hypocrisy. In the closet, my pleasures Cause a big brother, brother Don't wanna just let me be yeah. Alright, Paul, brother it, um, it didn't really have lyrics for Well, it had lyrics and then apparently Eddie didn't really care for them, which is why on the On the Redux, we didn't We got like an instrumental version right. uh, with, uh, with Mike kind of replacing But eventually we did get the um I guess the lost maybe the lost dogs had the had the instrumental version, and the uh, and the and the Redux had the had the vocals. Well, he was just sitting around thinking. I mean, it's not even close to Olay, so why even bother <laughs> with this song right now? So <laughs> I don't know, man. I, you know that that first line is is actually very underrated. Uh, you you use the flag as a bandage. Mm. Oh, my big brother's pocket hypocrisy. Um, 
I think that that speaks volumes and it's, it's sadly still very pressing. It's sadly still very relevant. Um, it's interesting. I, I think sometimes I find that the, the people, so not all, that's not always the case, but um, it's not out of the ordinary or shocking to find some of the most outwardly patriotic folks to be kind of living, making choices or, or holding views that don't necessarily reflect the very values that they are um, claiming to espouse. Yeah. Claiming to espouse. And so I think that a song like this is, is still very, very important to understand that, uh, you know, the flag is not a bandage. It's it's not there to be used as a means of, of of covering up or atoning for choices that have lasting ramifications and impacts on the lives of other people with zero regard for those ramifications. Um, and then to, to to use some sort of, you know, America or, or nationalism or, or mm-hmm. national pride as a pretense for why that, that that's okay. Uh, I think that when you start thinking, and it's funny, this idea, this, this concept of big brother, um, how it's evolved over time to really encompass more of like the, the, the element of spying and, and, you know, what does freedom really look like in a, in a digital age like this? Uh, you know, we, we were <clears throat> talking today, and work a lot about AI. And I'm not, you know, we'll, we'll we'll go down this rabbit hole some of the time. Mm, yeah. but it's just more and more we're starting to lose lose sight of our humanity, and we have a tendency to to misplace it in these these bigger ideas like nationalism and uh, you know technology and um, uh, foreign relations and things like that, where we we don't really understand the other side. We don't really understand the scope, the depth and breadth of where AI is actually headed, uh, where AI is headed. Uh, we don't truly understand the nuances and the the, the cultural um, pins of so many other countries that we have relationships with or, or lack relationships with. Uh, we don't fully understand sometimes the underpinnings of what America was, tr- what principles America was truly founded upon. And, uh, how those values have, are, are so easily twisted to, to further different intentions and agendas. So I think a song like this is still very, very relevant. And I think that Eddie probably is being a little too hard on the lyrical content. And uh, I would argue that um, there are songs that come later in the catalog that actually, lyrically speaking, are, are not even as strong as the ones that we have here. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I, I think when you talk about, um, you know, uh, Ed writing about Big Brother, i.e. the government, you know, watching over us and all that. Um, you, it's funny that, you know, Ed writes these lyrics because when you think about overreach and complaining about overreach, that's usually like a conservative trope. And obviously, Eddie is very much not conservative. This is this this kind of blew my mind a little bit when I when I was diving into these. Um, but hey you know, maybe this is the kind of thing that we can all get behind. Maybe this is like a, mm-hmm. a, a uniting um, uh, idea. So I would say most of us 
have eschewed our privacy for convenience these days, as you alluded to with social media and, you know, every website we use asking us for asking for us to create an account. You know, there was a, um, there was a, uh, a, a story that came out, a, a package, if you will. Um, Hassan Minaj was, was, um, guest hosting the daily show a few weeks back. Mm. And he did this story, uh, this interview with uh, tech guru and uh, YouTube legend Marquez Brownlee about that very idea. Like tech is supposed to make our lives easier, but oftentimes it just complicates stuff. And, and at the same time, our lives, our data is just being sold to thousands of companies. Like where's our privacy? Now, I don't think uh, Ed could have seen that coming in 1991, mm-hmm. but he didn't like Reagan and Bush, those administrations imposing themselves on us. And in many respects, Big's Box, Big's Box, in many respects, Big Box <laughs> conservatism and liberalism are kind of the same thing. Like they both use the government as a weapon to force what they want on the public. The question really is are those things ultimately for the good of the public or just the very few? You know, this is what we what we always argue about. You know, meanwhile, the libertarians in the room are like, uh, yeah, we've been trying to tell you guys for a while now. Right. That's a whole other story. But to come back to the whole big brother, big brother thing, the fact that Ed is talking about this, this big eye, you know, big guy with a big eye, uh, if I can quote both sometimes and uh, grievance at the same time, um, he saw this and didn't like it. And obviously it's almost an allusion to the lack of privacy that he felt two or three years later, which is a right. interesting way to think about it. Um, I wonder what made him dislike the lyrics then only to come back around again, 18 years later when they finally and played it. Communicate the same ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm with you. I think it's, I think it's a pretty cool song lyrically. I mean, obviously it's very cool musically, but yeah, you're right. There, there are other songs later, later, probably around the riot act binaural era where he's saying some similar stuff where he's in the same ballpark, but maybe they aren't as strong mm-hmm. as these. Sometimes simplicity is, is the key. So, um, all right. Well, there's not too many choices for live cut of the week, but we're going to try anyways. And here it is our live cut of the week. Ready? So we've got uh, we've got eight, eight total, and that includes one from 1991 here in Los Angeles. That is very hard to hear. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, uh, th- you know, the inclination is to go there because that, yeah. that's the one time you're going to hear this song played. Yeah, the, the, that's the one time you'll hear this song performed at at, at Pearl Jam's peak, at least in terms of of when this song was written. Right. Uh, but really, you have to fast forward to 2009. You've got to go to the Backspacer tour before you you start hearing this song and really ever play it again. Um, and there's a good number of performances, a good small, I shouldn't say good number, there's a small handful of performances from that tour. Uh, but I think that the standout version comes from August 15th, 2009 in Berlin.
So I like this one a lot because um, I think there is a really nice clarity and separation of instrumentation in this mix. Everything, I can hear everything everybody's doing. And there's a tightness to the performance. It sounds like they've been rehearsing the hell out of this thing. You know, uh, the Redux came out earlier in the year. Obviously, they're, touring, they're in touring shape because of Backspacer. The band is tight. Um, it's the fourth performance in that run. You know, the first obviously being a long time ago, but first, uh, the fourth of that current run. So they've played it a few times. They're just tight. Mike's on fire. The backing vocals are surprisingly strong. Like That was a big selling point for me. Right? So I thought, I mean, listen, only seven really to choose from, but this is great. I thought so too. Uh, I thought it was just, it was obviously the, the re- recording quality across the board is, is pretty similar. Uh, so it, it was just going to come down to which performance is tightest and uh, which one kind of features a, a, a standout quality, something that really defines it. For me, it was what you mentioned, which was the, the hyper clarity and differentiation of all the different instruments and those, those backing vocals, which were just really impassioned for this particular performance. So uh, as of now, that to me is is the the signature performance we have of this track, and maybe one day we'll get uh, the old Florentine remastered. I don't know. It, who knows what that was even recorded on? It's, I think it was just an audience recording. So someone just had a potato and it was like, yeah. "There you go." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there it is, episode one fifty three in the books. But before we go, of course, I mentioned it earlier. We've got to handle some housekeeping. We've got two mm-hmm. winners. Two winners, Paul. Um, Drum let's go please. with the, brrr, there it is. <laughs> the, uh, what is this Christmas vacation? Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's go with the gigaton vinyl, the gigaton vinyl, by the way, the correct answer to the question was a Hyundai Hyundai Hyundai. That is the kind of car that Josh Evans at least dr- drove at the time of, of the story he was telling. So mm-hmm. Hyundai is the, is the correct answer and the lucky winner. Chosen at random, Derek Laub. Derek Laub? Laub? However I'm pronouncing it, Derek, you are the winner uh, from uh, from Instagram, I believe it was. So uh, send us a DM and we Congratulations. Will Congratulations, Derek. You earned this. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, buddy. There you go. So, uh, so yeah, send us your information and we will send that gigaton vinyl out to you. Now, to the winner of the i am mine pearl jam fan portraits book oh my goodness what a treat this is the question was what is tanya's favorite song and pretty much all of you got it there's a a, a large a large response to this one the correct answer is brain of jay and the winner again chosen at random alex gray alex gray from twitter you have won the copy of I am mine fan portraits. So uh, send us uh, a DM and we will hook you up with Tanya and get that out to you post haste. Spectacular giveaways this week, Jason could not be more thrilled for uh, this week's winners. And by the way, I may or may not have a couple of uh, small tokens from easy street records to give out as another giveaway coming up soon. So, you know, who knows, who knows? All right. There it is. Whew. Paul, I'm tired of talking. This is too much talking. <laughs> well, until we uh, see you next week, you have been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.